Screen pass? Welcome back to Screen Pass, the show about American football and popular culture. I'm Sheehan, and with me as always is my very own Al Borland, Justin Barber. Do you know what time it is? It's time to talk about tool time. <laughs> it is time to talk about tool time. I suggest that any time we get together might be tool time. <laughs> I think so. I can't believe I'm dubbed Al Borland in this, but I guess I'll take it. I had a, um, a sitter who I used to go to after school when I was in elementary school. And she was a grown woman, and her ideal man was Al Borland. And I thought that was the most <laughs> ridiculous thing. It's like, if you could have any actor in the world, her cream of the crop was Al Borland. I thought that was pretty funny. Wow. Yeah. Did she have daddy issues? I have no idea. I mean, well, she was grown, you know I mean? She was like, that's what she did for a living. Like, she had... Oh, right. And I went there because... Um, her son went to my school and I was friends with him. So my mom worked. So after school, I just went over there. She just, uh, she talked about him all sexually. It was, it was quite uncomfortable <laughs> for a young child, but um, shout out to. Uh, I mean, there's all the tools and the hammering and you can't look at Al without being, without being turned on. I wonder what you'd make of Ron Swanson, who's sort of, I suppose, a, an Al Ball and from the Al Ball and coaching <laughs> Right. Yeah, they all graduated the same class. Yeah. I don't know. I have no idea, but um, I haven't thought about her in a long time until just uh, this Well, I'm second. sure she's thought about you. I hope not. On the uh, on a flight I was on recently, I watched some of the campaign, the t- terrible film with uh, Will Ferrell and Zach Galifianakis, and Zach Galifianakis's wife talks about strumming one out to Drew Carey. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not a million miles away. Apologies to everyone offended by the phrase strumming one out. I'm very sorry. I like it. I think it needs to be uh, more used in culture. Well, we've taken this in a very weird direction very early on. It's It's been a little while since we recorded, partially because we were too scarred by Varsity Blood, but also partially because we've been off watching people get married. Uh, your sister's wedding sounded nuts. Yes, yeah, she ended up getting married in Vegas which I hear is something people do. Yeah, that's not uncommon. Yeah, weirdos. She uh, ended up going outside of the town to a ghost town. It was very small, but it was cool. It was it was really neat. It was an unconventional wedding. I hadn't been to Vegas in a while. Vegas is kind of weird now. I'm a I'm a craps guy. I love craps, but it was really hard (laughs) to get a a decent. It was hard to find a table that wasn't $50 buy-in. And then they've been doing this like Tronics craps situation, which craps to me is all about the people. You know, I like rolling and when you get on a roll, you're high-fiving the guy next to you. This was pre-COVID world, but hey, it's it's all about the craps table. So it was it was okay. We didn't I didn't get to do as much of that as I'd like, but the wedding was really nice. Yep. And congrats to her. Shout out. Yeah, congratulations. Did you have any sort of role within the ceremony? Did you have to make a speech or anything? No, like I said, it was an unconventional wedding. I was the witness, so I was right there. Uh, Again, it was a small wedding. That's really cool. 
uh, you were telling me about. I was like, that's uh, it's a badass wedding for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the wedding <laughs> I went to was um, somewhat more conventional, as tends to be the case on, on a rooftop overlooking the beach. The weather held off in Melbourne, uh, which was fantastic. So uh, congratulations to Mr. and Mrs. Shakespeare. He's come up on the show a couple of times. Uh, in various guises. Do you have any interesting wedding stories, either from this one or past ones that you've been to? So I've definitely got plenty from past. There's been a few family weddings where uh, cousins have got far too drunk uh, and started calling everyone pedophiles. So that was um, <laughs> that was a real interesting one. But um, at the I I would call it a stag do or a bucks party or a bachelor party. They were getting married on a Saturday. We had the bachelor party on a Thursday, and you know, we're all older than we used to be. We thought we're going to keep a lid on it. Like, we'll probably have some beers, probably be a bit hungover the next day. Went to a golf simulator, had some beers, went to a pub, have some more beers. And me and my mates have always been big fans of karaoke. Like, growing up, when we would go out on a Friday night, we'd go to a karaoke bar and get drunk. And like, you know, my, my best mate and I have been singing I Want It That Way for the best part of 14 wow, years. I didn't know that about you. As I'm- a- uh, as a duo, at the end of the night, starting to wind down, I said, well, let's let's go find somewhere to do some karaoke. And a lot of people started filtering out. Now I got work the next day. Fair enough. Um, so it ended up being me, my best mate, his brother, his dad, a couple of our other mates from school, and the father of the bride. We got to karaoke and we were like, oh, do you want to sing anything? No, no, I'm good. I'm good. He's a pretty quiet guy anyway. It transpired that he thought karaoke was code for going to the strippers. <laughs> and he was very disappointed, I think, that we were actually at karaoke. <laughs> he thought you were taking <laughs> like, him to a strip club. <laughs> Belting out Bon Jovi <laughs> instead of uh, getting lappies. So um, That's funny. Sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah, I've been to so many weddings. It's it's wild. And, you know, I think they've died down as far as the amount. I mean, I feel like one there was one year where it was like four weddings in a summer and all that. But my first youngest wedding is one of my best mates got married before he was 21. So he dove right in, went all in. But it was a dry wedding. Family is religious. Both of the people getting married are under 21. I was the best man. So I went to the liquor store and I got minis of everything. When I walked up to the guy, I was like, can I get some minis? And he's like, which one? And I was like, all of them. I want all of them. (laughs) I'll take three of all of them. And so the whole at the whole wedding word got around like whispers in the in the back got around. So people kept coming out to my car because they were in my trunk with cups of Coke or cranberry juice. And I'm I'm handing out these things from the (laughs) trunk of my car. So that was that was one of my first earlier weddings. One of my most recent weddings outside of this last one was my cousin got married a few years ago in Houston, Texas, and it was a nice wedding. It was an adult wedding, which tend to be a little more different as you get older. So extremely cool hit venue every you know, she got married in a park it was it was really beautiful very nice it was a day wedding so it ended pretty early in the night and when we got back to the hotel where me and my cousins and most of my family stayed there was a wedding in the hotel 
and we were already dressed up. So we're like, let's crash this wedding. So we all, <laughs> so a good handful of us went in there. And when we crashed, we crashed hard. We were not inconspicuous at all. We were drinking. We were out on the dance floor. I was dancing with the bride and groom at one point. They were right next to me. And we were like on the front line throwing the the rice as they walked to the elevator. <laughs> My other cousin, he had his son there who was in elementary school. He's dancing with everybody. He's on the front line. It was absolutely great. You know, the key to it was whenever anyone asked me who I was there with, I'd always ask them first. I'd be like, who are you here with? You know, who, who are you here for? And they'd be like, oh, the bride. Oh, yeah, I know the groom. I know the groom and would just play it off. It was a good time. That day I got to go to two weddings. I love it. Thankfully, we're at the end of kind of the wedding, the wedding run now, but uh, they are fun. They can be. I wasn't hung over uh, after this one. I had to give a speech. So I was like on, on the waters most of the day, trying to very much keep a lid on it. Uh, so I didn't make a dick of myself. So. Yeah. I woke up feeling absolutely fine the next day, which has been a very long time since that happened. The worst wedding is if you go to a wedding of your significant other and they're in the wedding and you don't really know anyone at the wedding. Have you ever had that experience? All the time. And we had this discussion <laughs> this time because I was in the wedding. My significant other was not. And I was like, hey, this is every fucking wedding I go to with you. Yeah, that's the worst. But, you know, hey, throw me in a room. Give me a couple drinks. I'll be fine. But it is much less fun sitting at a table with a bunch of people you don't know, trying to drum up that whole good time from people you don't know. I've been to weddings where all I've known is the couple. You can either decide to have a bad time or just fucking go all in and be like, yeah. I'm going to own this dance floor. I am going to get round to everyone. I'm going to talk to everyone and just like absolutely tear it up. And I have much more fun doing that. Yeah, you got to throw off all those chains of nervousness and all that. I mean, a good time is what you make it. Get in there, guys. And of course, Thanksgiving is a wedding in and of itself. This is our Thanksgiving episode, a wedding of the pilgrims and Native Americans, as is my uh, understanding of the holiday. Yep. At, uh, at Plymouth Rock, presented the Plymouth Rock from uh, one party to the other. And then everyone uh, ate, a, ate a bunch of turkey and um, listened to John Madden, so- I'm a big fan of Thanksgiving when I've been. I am looking forward to going out for Thanksgiving this year. Your favorite holiday, no question. It's up there. It is up there. I, I like Thanksgiving. I mean, it's family gets together. It's surrounded by food and saying what you're thankful for. And you watch football. So I eat a lot, watch football. Most of the time, fall asleep on the couch at some point. Uh, what's not to like? You know, it's I have holidays that I like a little bit more. Fourth of July, we always have a big party with my family. That's always a fun one. But Thanksgiving is definitely on the top of the list. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a great holiday built around eating. Fun fact, in Turkey, they call turkeys the American bird. Huh. Fun fact, Benjamin Franklin wanted the turkey to be America's national bird. I like it. I think that's much better than the eagle. Imagine going to watch the Philadelphia turkeys play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's their chant. <laughs> Gobble turkeys, gobble. <laughs> Impromptu, I could have teed you up for this, and it's not like every other podcast who does this this time of year is not doing this. On the clock, what are you drafting as your uh, your Thanksgiving sides? Without a doubt, stuffing. Stuffing is delicious. We never make enough. And then there's, there's different levels of stuffing, too. It depends on who makes it. Uh, some people think this is gross, but oyster stuffing, if done right, is delicious. 
delicious. But there's different levels of stuff. So do you like a moist stuffing? I do. Yeah, I, I like it. <laughs> I don't like a dry stuff. So that's not what I hear. You know, no one likes a dry stuffing. This is going down the wrong road. Outside of that. I don't know. Everything else seems to be pretty good. Love mashed potatoes and stuff. It's all the carby ones are really great. How about you? Uh, I fucking love pumpkin pie. Oh, yeah. Love a good mac and cheese. I think the golf in class between a real good mac and cheese and ordinary mac and cheese is very great, though. I think turkey is underrated if it's cooked well. I love a turkey. But on stuffing, last time I went to the States for Thanksgiving- Someone made Reuben stuffing. So Nolan was stuffing it had like a salt beef and sauerkraut and Thousand Island or Russian dressing, whatever you want to call it. So good. It sounds good. It sounds really good. I'm a fan of sauerkraut. You know, I mean, with stuff. I also enjoy a pumpkin roll. It's got like a cream cheese style filler and it's like a pumpkin sweet bread and it's wrapped it's uh, like a like a swirl like a swirl like a spiral ah i like it the cream cheese element is very thick it's delicious very good hmm. i will keep an eye out next time i am back well the taylor family of home improvement fame there's none of that there for them <gasps> <laughs> we watched the thanksgiving episode of home improvement as you'd know by the title of the episode before we get into the episode itself were you a fan of home improvement when it was on tv i was but not a lot i mean i watched it a lot because it was on a lot i mean there was a lot of shows that just kind of ran during that time home improvement was one of them the cosby show was always on stuff like that just was always on TV. So I did end up watching it a lot. How about you? I definitely remember it being on. Uh, I remember the theme song, obviously, the grunting. But you're right. It was it was kind of just there. A bit like Third Rock from the Sun. That was always on. I think because they were on the same channel, they might have been on Back to Back in Australia. I think that's maybe why they're entwined in my mind. I definitely watched it, but I couldn't remember any episodes other than the build-up to them showing Wilson's face for the first time. Yep, and that was in finale. Uh, yeah, that might be why I remember it. Yeah, with Wilson, what was kind of cool that the show did, you never saw his face in the show, and they got really creative with that because it started with him just being the neighbor side of the fence, so you never saw the bottom half of his face. You just see his eyes at the top of his head. But as the show progressed, they started doing funny little commentaries where he would like hold a ham <laughs> and you'd see from the perspective of his yard, but still cover his face. And then even at curtain call, because they'd have a live studio audience, when he came out, he had a little fake fence that he pulled over his face. So even the audience never got to see his face. And then at the season finale, that was the big brought him out he had an uncovered face and even touched his lower jaw yeah i mean we'll we'll circle back to this but um on last man standing tim allen's show subsequent to home improvement and i think it might have even been the last episode of that or towards the end there was sort of a home improvement reunion where uh, tim taylor showed up to talk to i don't know tim last man standing whatever his character in that's called and there's a bit where Last right. Man Standing is uh, Last Man Standing behind part of a fence, and he can just see, like, the nose and the eyes, and Tim says, thanks, I only, I, like, I only feel comfortable opening up to the top half of a man's face. <laughs> nice. 
always find it easier to open up the top half of another man's face. Let's stick with uh, Wilson here, one of the great unseen characters. I feel like there was a lot of that in the 90s, but I think maybe that's just because I think of, like, Norm's wife in Cheers or uh, Maris Crane in Frasier. But it, it's like a, it's a big thing, you know? You had Charlie in Charlie's Angels, and then even in, like, The Big Bang Theory, you had Howard's mother. Do you have any favourite unseen characters? Yeah, definitely. There was a lot of wives, I think, through the 80s. Oh, yeah. That were mentioned a lot, but then never shown. Like, when you mentioned that, I was thinking Norm from Cheers. He always talked about Vera. His wife, you never saw her. Columbo. I don't know if anyone watches Columbo, but that show was great. He always talked about Mrs. Col- Mrs. Columbo. But you never saw her. Mrs. Columbo thinks I need to quit smoking. Even more recent, if you go to Scrubs, Dr. Kelso always mentioned his wife Enid. You never saw her. <laughs> so that's been a huge thing through sitcoms. Seinfeld is great for it with George Steinbrenner and Kramer's friend Bob Sacamano. <laughs> you, you never, you never. <laughs> My friend Bob Sacamano <laughs> sells sells hats down at Battery Park, ten dollars. Right. And he always does everything. He's always doing everything all the time. Similar with my so-called life, jump back to our Blue Thunder episode. We talked a little bit about that show. Tino was a guy in the background you never met that was always doing the cool things. Oh, hey, Tino says that there's a party over here. Oh, I got this from Tino. And then you never met Tino. I always liked that. I felt like that was (laughs) me in high school. I was always, I did, I hung out with kids that didn't go to my high school. And one time I was talking to a friend of mine, a girl there, and I'm like, why are these people talking about me? They obsess me. I don't even hang out. She's like, well, you're never there. You're always doing stuff. And people just hear about the stuff <laughs> that you're doing. Why don't you hang out with anyone from this high school? I, I don't know. Is that uh, the same time you had that girlfriend in Canada? No, no. I, I, she still writes me. She's a model <laughs> and a nuclear physicist. I am sure she is. Yeah, I love Kramer's friends, Lopez, yep. Jay Riemann Schneider, who eats horse all the time. But yeah, Bob Sacamano and uh, Jerry's cousin Jeffrey as well, who works that's- for the Parks Department, who <laughs> Uncle Leo is super proud of. Yeah, that's right. Favorite animal's the leopard. <laughs> You're Jeffrey's favorite animal, the leopard. <laughs> Why is that? He likes the spots. (laughs) My favorite would be, as a South Park fan, you never see Kenny's face. So he's a little different in the sense that you actually do see him, like Wilson, but you just never see his face. Bit of a seven degrees for you. Our old mate, whose name escapes me, from Gus Barney Fife on the Andy Griffiths show, according to this Wikipedia page I'm looking at. Juanita Beasley, for whom Barney Fife occasionally expresses affection, is unseen, but often referenced and telephoned by the love-struck Fife. She's really going, oh, I've got a horse on my football team. <laughs> so I guess that goes in line with all these unseen wives that we have in shows, which I never really even realized was a thing until we did this podcast. Definitely think it happens, I think, a lot in English shows. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen Minder, it's terrible, but the guy always referred to his wife as Er indoors, as in, like, <laughs> oh, go on, speak to Er indoors. Yeah, I haven't seen it. It's uh, not worth looking at. Oh, there is one more. There is one more. This is a seven degree separation of the show. The ugly naked guy from Friends. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you never actually see him. I think at one point you see his back. 
Uh, seven degrees of separation. We did a podcast. Go back, check it out. It was our last Thanksgiving episode. That's right. I've got some uh, some theories about Wilson here, and maybe why people didn't see his face, and because he was sort of the counterpoint to to Tim Taylor, like Tim Taylor, very much a a man's man with his grunting and his power tools. Wilson, uh, very much like a, a polymath, very esoteric, reads the newspaper like a fucking nerd, <laughs> a, a, a genius who li- lived a, a different life and, and sort of existed on different planes. So these are all courtesy of Ranker. So we're not going to delve too deeply into them, but there are a couple. The first one I've got here, Wilson is God. And I'll, I'll read directly here. Is it possible the friendly wisdom dispensing neighbor from Home Improvement is God? A Home Improvement Analysis podcast, Grunt Work, presents solid evidence to back up this theory. Besides Wilson's obvious wisdom and seemingly endless knowledge, both of which are commonly associated with gods, there's biblical evidence. Exodus 33.20 states, But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. This would explain why no one ever sees Wilson's entire face. An interesting theory. Uh, in one episode, Wilson seems to give life to some wooden ducks he has carved. In another, he appears at two places at once. What's more, Tim heading out to confess his problem to a sem- semi-anonymous entity behind a fence. It's eerily similar to the Catholic tradition of confession. Do you find that? Huh? Or? Uh, 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 I think. I like the theory. I never thought of. Wilson as God, and I think it's a little bit of a stretch for the show. I know we're probably going to get into some of these theories. I more thought of him internal consciousness, like mm. Jimmy Cricket, yep. kind of, if you will. Yep. I don't know if that's on the list, but I feel you're right in the sense that Tim's always going down a certain direction. He speaks to Wilson. Wilson's like, you gotta let this go. People sometimes think of this, and he always opens up that mental breakthrough that Tim needs to complete whatever task is. Yep. Yeah, I can I can absolutely see that. That's not our next theory. Boo. The next theory is Wilson is the reincarnation of Norse god Odin. Similar to God. Yeah, I would have put these as maybe as the same. But this comes from a Redditor, Jimmy Talent. Shout out, Jimmy, if you're listening. Wilson is a man on the older side of middle age who dispenses wisdom to the tailors with an almost encyclopedic knowledge of philosophy, foreign culture, and a bunch of other random stuff. He also has a lot of skills that would take years to master and once had dinner with Albert Einstein, who died in 1955. There is no way he isn't some kind of immortal or semi-immortal being. Odin is a Norse god who puts a lot of importance on things like knowledge, wisdom, and poetry, which could maybe be expanded as art in general. He would also visit the realm of humans disguised as an old wanderer. So my theory is that Odin was reincarnated and went back to wandering the earth in disguise. Then after a while, he falls in love with a mortal woman. The episode where Wilson is planning to move to South America, you find out he was married, but his wife died. Uh, When she dies, he gets depressed and loses interest in pretty much everything and settles down in Detroit. After a while, he meets Tim, a man completely devoid of wisdom, but uh, but constantly in need of it. And in helping Tim with his problems, Odin finds a new renewed purpose. So we say, huh? Again, neat theory. I like it. But in all the Norse followers out there i don't want to insult your religion if this is it but isn't odin always portrayed as having you can't spell odin without one eye that's the classic phrase odin tends to be wilson is a little too sensitive i think odin is very hard more of a violent figure so i just i i don't buy it as much i 
prefer the previous theory. He could have just been any deity, yep. frankly. He could have been Zeus. Yep. He could have been Jupiter. He could have been Wilson from Home Improvement. The third one we have here, Wilson is a reincarnation. This, this is a good one. And in fact, a, a Seven Degrees of Separation, tying back to our book episode, Wilson is a reincarnation of fictional English adventurer Alan Quartermain. Now, already you could probably pick some holes in this one because- how do you reincarnate uh, from a fictional character? But here we are. In the episode in which Wilson reveals he was once married, he plans a trip to Africa, certainly a destination he would have visited had he been a white explorer in a previous life. In fact, a handful of details about Wilson's life resemble that of Alan Quartermain, a fictional English explorer from the 1885 novel King Solomon's Mines and its sequels. Both made Africa a primary destination. Both were widowers. Is that a huh? Or uh? I think it's more uh? I, I like that theory. I think it's interesting, at least. It's a little more abstract. And if we're dealing with a fictional character that is Wilson, I think it's okay to say that it's a reincarnation of another fictional character. Again, I I don't think it totally hits the market. I think that one is a... Uh, <clears throat> I think that's really? real bad. I think, <laughs> I think it's interesting. The last one we have here uh, on this list is... Wilson fathered a serial killer. So our friends over at Gruntwork point out that in season season one's Baby It's Cold Outside, as the tailors look for a romantic Valentine's Day getaway, Wilson suggests Crystal Lake. Those not the know, Crystal Lake is the campground where Jason Voorhees of Friday the 13th series drowned and later goes on a number of rampages. When the tailors inevitably check out Crystal Lake on Valentine's Day, which happens to fall on a Friday that year, Friday the 14th, Tim runs into Wilson who says he visits the camp every Valentine's Day. Jason's father is barely addressed in the Friday the 13th series. He appears in deleted material from Friday the 13th part five, Jason Lives, which is included in the novelization of the film and is briefly mentioned in Jason Goes to Hell the Final Friday. His name is Elias Voorhees and virtually nothing is known about him. It's not out of the realm of possibility that Wilson had a sweetheart at Crystal Lake, knocked her up and goes back there every Valentine's Day to reminisce on his past love. Jason and Wilson both keep their faces covered, are extremely isolated, both very tall, love using tools in their work. <laughs> Maybe Pamela Voorhees, Jason's mum, lied to him, and his real dad is Wilson W. Wilson Jr. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm all in. I like I that all one. In. Yeah. <laughs> I like that one. Again, it jumps back to the previous one. I like the idea of a mythological character being another mythological character's father practicality i don't think that they wrote it like that but i like it i think that's fantastic as well there are other theories that he's in witness protection but um i think we can safely say that wilson is uh, jason Voorhees' father yep to put a bow on this wilson conversation i think it is worth noting that because he's kind of a mysterious figure throughout the show his name is wilson 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 jr oh. uh claims to be related to the the wilsons of the beach boys mm. Brian Wilson. Yeah, Brian Wilson, the one that uh, got Sharon Tate murdered. Brian and Brian, just like Brian Wilson, Wilson, Wilson Jr. Dear. In this episode, we find out more about the Wilson family, sort of off the cuff. We meet his, uh, well, his cousin, I think it's his cousin, his niece, Willow, yep. who I think was a recurring character later in the show. But he mentions uh, other members of the Wilson family, uh, Uncle Wilbert, Aunt Wilhelmina, Cousin Wilford, uh, Grandpa Willard, Grandma Wilma. And Bob. On Wilson. On Wilson Jr. At our house here, we have a, um, a sort of a split backyard divided by a fence. And I was talking to my neighbor 
over the fence and I just sort of off the, the cuff said, I feel a bit like Wilson leaning over the fence to talk to you like this. And he sort of just looked at me. He didn't know what you were referencing. No, he's a weird dude, to be honest. <laughs> Shut up. Wilson might be the character that people remember. He wasn't the breakout star of the show. Uh, you could say Pamela Anderson, who was the first tool-time girl, Lisa, uh, after two years left for- um you watch. Yeah, bigger, brighter Tommy Leah pastures. Yeah, absolutely. She definitely became- uh, yeah, I forgot that she was the first tool-time girl, but good for her. Really skyrocketed her career. Yep. Uh, it's uh, definitely the second most popular piece of media she's ever done to launch her career to a new level. <laughs> the other breakout star, I think, was uh, JTT, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, who played Randy Taylor, the youngest, uh, the youngest Taylor son or the youngest Taylor brother. Obviously, the voice of young Simba after getting the role in this. Left the show in weird circumstances. I, I think he kind of wanted to go on and, and study. He ended up studying at Harvard, graduating from Columbia. So lives a pretty quiet life these days. Clearly a, a pretty clever kid, but he was another one who came back in Last Man Standing and old uh, Tim Last Man Standing, whatever his character's called. It's like, oh, you look really familiar. You're going to want to hope you don't have boys or something like that. <laughs> right. Hey, come on in. Everybody, this is my new boss. This is John Baker. Oh, hi, I'm Vanessa. Hi. Hi, Mike Baxter. Hey. Andy looked familiar. <laughs> well, you know, I used to work with Kristen. That's not it. Well, uh, whoa. <laughs> is that your car? Uh, yeah, yeah, I had it souped up a bit. You know, for more power. Oh, yeah. Hi. That kid was raised right. Every time there was a home improvement alumnus who showed up in that, there was always a joke about them. But well, we can yeah. we can cover some of the others. Uh, what do you what do you remember about JTT? I mean, he was out of the kids. If you had to pick a favorite, he was my favorite. He was kind of the mischievous one. I would say the oldest was the bad. one but JTT was kind of like the mischievous one. And in the 90s, he was like a dream boat for young girls. He was like the teen bop and Tiger Beat magazines. He was always on the cover. And the most successful out of the kids, even in his short-lived career, you mentioned Lion King voice, Tom Sawyer. He was in a bunch of stuff. But yeah, he really left to focus his education. And I read a thing from the New York Times that he wanted to do more edgy material, like he wanted to expand his acting ability. He wanted to show his dick. <laughs> he wanted to Harry Potter it. <laughs> I was going to say, like when Daniel Radcliffe fucked that horse on stage. <laughs> you want to see a kid? I'll show you I'm a man. I'll show you my one. It's always weird when kids do that. It's tool time. <laughs> it's tool time. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> kids transitioning is always weird. Because you do have that moment where you see them as a child and they want to make the transition to an adult actor. So a lot of times they end up doing something weird. Or in a, a rare case like JTT, he just basically bailed on. I think it's kind of cool. You know, he focused on higher education, just started doing wanted. And he walked away during the show's last season as well, like before it had ended. He was part of the reason it ended, really. He and Patricia Richardson both quit. Yep. And apparently it was a pretty sore subject as well, because he wouldn't mm. even make any guest appearance. 
experiences. The other kids, none of them have really gone on to great heights. Taryn Noah Smith basically divorced his parents at 17, married a woman twice his own age who was a weird vegan, uh, and now runs a vegan restaurant, as far as I know. Yeah, I'm, I couldn't get too much on him. To be honest, from the show standpoint, I thought he was the weakest character on the show. He was like yep. the sensitive kid. And then in the later episodes, in this episode we watched, he starts to become goth. And this is the beginning of that. You see him wearing all black. Yep. He has a chain wallet. In later episodes, he gets real goth. And I guess that didn't test yep. well with audiences because they looped him <laughs> back. Yep. But Tara Noah Smith, hold on. All three of these kids have are three named kids. Mm. How weird is that? This is like a 90s thing. They're all they're all three named kids. I, I think it definitely is a 90s thing. And you see it sometimes parodied on like a, on The Simpsons or Family Guy, where there'll be like the young child star who has a triple barreled name. Yeah. So TNS, Tara Noah Smith. <laughs> I think he might have started as Taron Smith and then gone to Taron Noah Smith or start as Taron Noah Smith and just gone to Taron Smith. Just trying to catch up with those other kids. From what I read about him, he stopped acting. He's an installation artist, and then he's done a bunch of different things with disaster. Like he stayed in the Philippines for over a year, and then in 2017, he was he stayed in a truck, was fixing homes and volunteering for disaster recovery. But I don't know. He was my least favorite character on the show, but he seems like he grew into a cool guy and doing art, helping out. Like that's. Kind of rad. Yeah, was working for SpaceX as of this year. No kidding. So shout out Unky Elon. It is. TNS. And then um, the oldest brother, Brad, played by Zach Ty Bright. Beautiful mullets in the early Beautiful seasons of the show. Just mullets. Golden. A rich. Yes. Flowing. Yeah. Oh, he could be a Norse god if he was the reincarnation of Odin. That golden mullet, I'd buy it. Well, it's funny you say that because he played Thor in a made-for-TV sci-fi channel movie, Thor Hammer of the Gods. He was my uh, significant other's favorite of the three brothers, so don't know what it tells you about her, um, her taste in men there. Very similar to you. A jock kid, kind of a jerk, too cool for school. <laughs> that was the vibe I got off. Brad, ZTB's character. He had a little bit of trouble. Uh, he started his own restaurant called Big Wangs. I don't know if this was a sort of a female version of Hooters, but a lot of his mates basically spent all his money and took it off him, which, which sucks. But don't feel too bad about him because in 2020 was held on several charges, including felony strangulation and misdemeanor charges of fourth degree assault and interfering with making a police report after an apparent argument with his girlfriend in their apartment in Lane County, Oregon. February 2021, Brian pleaded guilty to two charges, uh, two of the charges, while six others were dismissed. He was sentenced to three years of bench probation and ordered to partake in a batterer intervention program and have no contact with the victim. So essentially beat his missus up. Yep. It's interesting with his role as an actor because he played this very specific kind of character. He was probably one of my least favorites as far as the, like I said, I always looked at him as like the kind of the jerk of the kid. And then I feel like afterwards he was kind of typecast as that as well. Like he played a role in Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, which is a side yep. note, is a guilty pleasure movie. He played it perfectly. I think he was probably one of the better actors out of the kids. But yeah, his life took a very bad left turn. And he was kind of coming back, doing interviews and all his interviews, he seemed very friendly, very sociable. But then every time it hit the Yikes. 
<laughs> Hopefully he gets back to living a healthy life because we want people to get their way back from being pieces of shit. We don't want to. Uh, we were, don't double down. We don't want babies crying because they used to be a piece of shit. <laughs> no, worth noting, and probably from a football perspective, cousin of former NFL quarterback Brady Quinn. No kidding. Uh, who, if memory serves, paid for the Browns and wasn't very good. He did. Play for the Browns, Broncos, Chiefs, Seahawks, Jets, Rams, and Dolphins. Everybody. Yep. Got a contract. Good for him, Brady Quinn, and your cousin, Zach Ty Bryan. Noted piece of shit. <laughs> do you have anything else on the um, the Taylor children before we get on to the man himself? Nope. Let's do it. Obviously, we've talked about every other character other than Tim's wife, Jill, uh, because she doesn't have a whole lot to do in the show from memory and doesn't do a whole lot in this episode. But if you were putting together a list of the biggest stars of the 90s, like you'd have to talk about Tim Allen on that list. 100%. For a week, or it might have even been a month, I think it might have been November 1994, he was the star of the biggest show on TV, Home Improvement. He was the star of the biggest movie in cinemas, being the Santa Claus, and he had the number one best-selling book in America, Don't Stand Too Close to a Naked Man, which may have been about his time in jail for cocaine possession. Yeah, I don't think Home Improvement was anyone's show. I'm sure there's someone out there who it might have been there, but it was everyone. Everyone watched it. It was one of those shows that was just on all the time. Everyone knew about it. So Santa Claus movies were huge. He also did Toy Story. He's the voice of Buzz Lightyear. All those are massive, huge. And looking back at his career, I was, I thought he was in more stuff. He really hasn't been in a tremendous amount, but he was always a presence, always a presence just media, everyone knows who Tim Allen is. So I, I found yep. that really interesting. The Santa Claus, I, I, I watch it every Christmas. It is one of my favorite Christmas movies. Tease for everyone, I'm hoping to do a Santa Claus episode of this once I can tee up a guest for it. Woo. Had a discussion with someone about it the other night who was very disappointed he wasn't uh, brought back for the reboot. Jungle to Jungle, I think I saw that in cinema. Uh, he's in Christmas with the Cranks, Galaxy Quest, that movie about superheroes, and he's one of the dads that I talked about a couple of episodes ago and I couldn't remember the name of and I still can't. Maybe it's called Zoom. Yeah. He's in that. But you're right. Like, he, well, I say you're right. I'm right. He was one of the I'm biggest right. stars. In the- <laughs> I'm in control. <laughs> <laughs> he was one of the biggest stars of the 90s. And like, uh, I suppose, a lot of his contemporaries who came out of that 1980s comedy scene, like- Jerry Seinfeld and um, other examples of that. He he went from being a successful stand-up comedian, which is where this character came from. Ray Romano, there's another example. Uh, where this character came from, Tim Taylor, and, the, and his grunting and everything like that to be the show it was. The grunting came out of a, a bit about sort of men being very animalistic and, and sort of caveman-y and, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Right. That was that was his bit. You can look it up on on YouTube. Ironically enough, at Dangerfield's Comedy Club, he gets introduced by Rodney himself, and gets up there and and talks about. Oh yeah, man. Uh, ooh. Uh. <laughs> My mom always called us pigs, boy. Seven boys, you little pigs. You little red butted monkey little pigs. All you do is shit and eat. That's all you do. She said, don't even bother speaking. Just grunt like the pigs you are. She said, all men need are three things. You don't think your old man grunts? Give him a steak, honey. You like that? 
<laughs> and he sort of does that throughout the show about it, it's almost like a comment on masculinity, but not quite going the full way to get the bit. Yeah. Uh, because then in Last Man Standing, his whole thing is like, I'm a Republican and everyone hates Republican and Democrats are idiots and nobody respects men anymore. And you're like, cool, here's a here's a show that is a platform for complaining about not having a platform. Uh, but he essentially does the same thing there. And he said it himself. The only difference is he has three daughters and it, and it's sort of through viewed through a more modern lens. But it, it really is that idea of the, the meathead dad, the meathead man. But it's also he's kind of on the inside of it at the same time. It, it doesn't it's not quite parody. Yeah. He runs a show in the show Inception called Tool Time. And every time he does an invention, he puts something together. It's always a bust. It blows up or that's the comedy. In the one we watched, Al had a suit that was supposed to like have a suction element to it. But then the suit ended up blowing up real big and Al's like losing control. So it was a play on being that totally tough, ugh, I cut wood and I build things, and then stupidity behind some of that and how that backfired, not seeing the full picture. Yeah, and you, you've got sort of the contrast there of Al, who is like the, the craftsman, like a proper woodworker, a handyman, a carpenter, whatever you want to say, like he is competent, and then Tim, who is the weekend warrior who just wants the most powerful bin for tools around. Right. As you say, he's always doing things. They're blowing up in his face. I, um, let's say, acquired uh, this season to watch the episode, and I thought, I'm going to go back and watch a few more episodes and, and essentially see if my views on the show were different or, or anything like that. Spoiler alert. And in the first episode, he uses rocket fuel on a, a Weber barbecue and obviously shoots it up into space. Exactly. Yeah, and that was his, that was his character. And Al was supposed to be the more balance the actual self-aware man that is into that stuff but isn't stupid about it it doesn't need to have rocket fuel in the weber grill he's the guy that just wants to cook just good at you know or the guy that's just Mm. good at building and it did make a good pair and richard khan also came back to um uh, last man standing as a as an architect, and his his introduction on the show is he, he comes in and says, great to be working with you again, buddy. Yeah. Tim Taylor, as we talked about the grunting, if you want, there is a 15-minute long video of every grunt from Home Improvement on uh, YouTube. Go and watch that. It's a lot. Because <laughs> a lot of them as well, like, you're not like, oh, there's 15-minute grunt. They're all like, oh, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think that was really the the things that, that people remember from it. But where we're interested in it is he's a, a big fan of the Detroit Lions. He wears his Detroit Lions shirt in the intro of the show. And that's kind of the um, the setup for this episode as well, that we are now going to get to an hour into the program. Can we just talk a little bit more about him real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Far away. Sorry. Yeah. What I find interesting about Tim Allen is story is he started comedy on a dare. His buddy mm-hmm. dared him to go up to do an open mic night. Did it. And that started his career. As we referenced earlier, talking 90s were all about that. Jerry Seinfeld really paved the way for comedians to have their own shows. Romano, Tim Allen, there's a bunch of them. Basically, that's what I do find it interesting. We talked about in, in 1978, 
he was arrested for having a pound of cocaine in his luggage. And he served two years in jail. He basically rolled over on other dealers. Uh, but yep. Buzz Lightyear is apparently a snitch. And he was able to get off in more time. He, he was like an, an actual drug dealer. Um, he was trafficking an amount of drugs. He say rolled over, which makes the scene in the Santa Claus where the police are grilling him about who he is and he refuses to give anyone up uh, even funnier. Even funny. I know you're Scott Calvin. You know you're Scott Calvin. So let's make this simple. I say name, you say Scott Calvin. Name? Chris Kringle. Name? Santa Claus. Name? Père Noël. Babo Natale. Père's Nicole. Papa Gigio. Okay, Calvin. Maybe a couple hours in the tank will change your mind. And there's a joke. There's a joke in The Simpsons as well, which is they they do the parrot like a home improvement, and Tim reverses his um reverses his ride on mower through the fence and kills Wilson, <laughs> and ends with oh well back to jail I go. <laughs> Fantastic. That's <laughs> good. I did it. I supercharged my riding mower. <laughs> Oh, no. I've killed Wilson. Looks like it's back to jail for me. <laughs> One of the great mug shots, I think, Tim Allen with the moustache, arrested in Kalamazoo, which is a funny place name. Yeah, epic moustache. If you haven't seen it, have a look. It's fantastic. Yeah, it is fantastic. So, have you got anything else to add about uh, Tim the Toolman Taylor? Tim the Allen Man Allen? No. Tim the Snowman Allen nailed it. Right. Cool. Well, let's let's talk about the um the actual episode. Yep. Is called Thanksgiving. It is the ninth episode of season seven, the show's penultimate season. First aired almost twenty five years ago today, twenty fifth of November, nineteen ninety seven. Rated a seven point seven out of ten on IMDb. That is the highest rated episode of the season. Directed by Peter Boners. Thought that was quite funny. <laughs> Boners. That's a B-O-N-E-R-Z. It's always funny unless if you're, like, middle school kid. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> it, uh, the episode obviously stars all the big names that we've talked about. Guest stars Tom Poston, Alex Rocco, and, of course, the reason why we're doing this episode, hey, it's uh, guest stars Rodney Dangerfield. Hey! Oh, are you kidding me? Alex Rocco, another very interesting man, grew up as a member of the, is it the White Hill Mob in Boston? Whitey Bulger's old gang. He was a uh, a member of that. Is it the what? Uh, Winter Hill Gang, sorry. And uh, was in things like uh, The Godfather, was briefly detained regarding a murder at one point after an alleged personal incident triggered the Boston Irish Gang War uh, in the 60s. Decided to straighten his life out, relocate to Hollywood, become an actor. So wild. <laughs> what a story. They're the stories that you never really, these older character actors where it'll be like, this guy was a, an actual gangster right. or um, this guy was a war hero or something like right. that, that you just don't really come across uh, so much anymore. So that's Alex Rocco, and we've talked about Rodney. The synopsis, brief synopsis, uh, Tim is invited to bring his family and spend Thanksgiving in a luxury suite at the Lions' traditional holiday football game. The episode opens, as always, with Tool Time, the show within a show, uh, and a demonstration going awry. It is they're trying to barbecue 
a cognac dipped turkey. And of course, it goes up in flames as Al Borland says, turn the butterball, uh, the butterball into a fireball. Uh, and this is part of their salute to a man's Thanksgiving, which uh, I found quite funny just as a, an isolated event. Yeah, it's one of the funnier parts of the episode, for sure. I don't know about you, but the outfit that Al Borland is wearing, he's sort of wearing this coverall. It's doing him no favors. He looks like a big fat roly poly man. And like Awful. Al Al's a, a a husky man. Yep. Beck. Beck fella. Yeah. He is, but he just looks like a fucking blob in this suit. And it all becomes apparent, as you say, it's a vacuum suit and he inflates. Right. And I thought the same thing when I first saw him. I'm like, what's going on with that? Yeah, it's like I don't remember him being so fat. It had to probably do with the effects that they were. As always, the demonstration goes all right. I thought it was quite funny where they're doing the um, salute to the man's Thanksgiving. And Tim said, the first thing we need to be thankful for is women and gives Heidi, I think, yep. is the tool time girl, a big hug. And there's like, now get out of here. This is the man's Thanksgiving order. <laughs> right. Rolls into the thing. Oh, Al Bull and uh, blows up and then drifts off like Aunt Marge in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. And we get the theme song, an absolute banger. It's one of the notable theme songs. I don't remember anything about the series, honestly. And I like we talk about the Simpsons. I could go on all day about this happened here. This happened. Same with when we did Family Guy. Boom, this moment, this moment. I really can't tell you any moments from Home Improvement. But that theme song, I know clear as day. Do, do, I can, do, 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 do. Now, this was the, I think it's the third, might be the fourth iteration of the show's theme song uh, and opening titles. You might remember in the early seasons, there was like the kids playing a video game and it was very much of its time. But this one, it's it's cool. Like it's got Tim and he's growing out of a plant and it's a, you know, it's the opening titles. It's like cutouts. Yep. Everyone looks like they're cut out on paper. Uh, does no favors whatsoever for Patricia Richardson, the most '90s looking woman <laughs> ever. But sneakily, and the it kind of opens with this. Thought she had a bit of a. Uh, thought she looked a bit of a, all right when she was talking to Wilson. I think she looked better than she normally did. She had kind of like a wavy hair thing going on. I was like, hey, yeah. Isn't that interesting when you're young and you see a mom or someone older on television and you have no reaction to them whatsoever? They're just like a typical. And then you get older. And you're like, oh, all right. Hmm. It was <laughs> not, not bad. Specifically, not bad. and only just that scene. Or is that? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm not attracted to her, and her as it, she's she's a fine looking woman. It's just not really my thing. That mom in that show is pretty hot. <laughs> Never realized that when I was ten. Of course not. <laughs> she goes out. She's talking to Wilson, and Wilson's as usual doing some sort of esoteric work. He's 
created a flute to help with the feng shui of his uh, of his house. It was very nineties, whatever it was he was doing. Right. And and we meet Willow when they're tofurky and and basically it transpires that Jill doesn't really want to cook for Thanksgiving. But little does she know, Tim has some good news for her. Uh, because he comes home from from tool time, he walks into the kitchen to find I don't know if you caught this. Zach Ty Bryan is violently flipping an already cooked pancake in a pan that is not on. <laughs> and I don't mean like you know you cook a pancake like cook it you flip it once or like you know you if you're really good you flip the pan or you use the spatula. He is like picking it up and turning it over and turning it over like he's trying to turn on a car. ETB red flag right there. Also, metal spatula in a non-stick pan. Come on, Zach. Come on. Lock it up. But yeah, if you didn't catch that, go back and watch it because it is bananas. And I think this is maybe emblematic of the episode. All the chi- all the kids are really bad in this. Acting-wise? In this episode. I don't think they're necessarily bad actors. The other episodes I watched, they were fine. But they were bad actors in this episode. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But Zach Ty Bryan, definitely. He was, he was shit. Yeah, I agree. I thought it- they're- Lines throughout this seem very forced in a way. I would say the best of the kids in this was uh, JTT. Yeah, well, that's you why know? he was the, the breakout star. Did you ever watch 30 Rock? I did. You know when they did those two live episodes and all the lines felt a bit more forced and they were kind of pausing for laughs and yep. there was just something that didn't have the same flow? That's kind of what it was with all the kids in this. They were really reading their lines. Yeah, I noticed that as well. I mean. Not exactly what you said, but I noticed that the kids just did. Yeah. So the Taylors get invited to a box at the Silver Dome, uh, and Tim sort of pitches it before he says why you get a classic- I say a classic Tim Allen, he does this a lot in the Santa Claus. He has a quite a an avuncular cadence to some things that he says, and he says, no matter where you eat, uh, no matter what you eat or where you eat, the main thing is that we're all together. Jewel is on board quickly. Which he didn't ex- he didn't expect her to be. He was like trying to talk her into doing this. She's immediately like, I don't have to cook or clean up. I'm in. Yeah. She was excited about it. Thanksgiving football is a tradition in Detroit. Uh, as you and every football fan knows, we sit down and we watch Detroit get drilled in the early game. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Lions are the Thanksgiving team. And in fact, I've, I've done a little bit of a deep dive on Thanksgiving football in, in Detroit here. Professional football. Uh, I know the college game dates back earlier than that, but you know what? I don't care. I didn't go that far. So the first ever professional football game played in Detroit in Thanksgiving was in 1917. While the rest of the world were off fighting a war, the Detroit Heralds lost 7-0 to the Canton Bulldogs. Ooh. And in 1920... The Detroit Heralds lost to the Dayton Triangles, 28-0 in the first ever season of the APFA, which went on to become the NFL. Yep. Uh, the, now, the Dayton Triangles, still around. Really? Do you want to have a guess? You got one in 32. Oh, in fact, one in 31. It's not the Detroit Lions. What was it? The Dayton what? The Dayton Triangles. Do you want to have a guess which franchise they are currently? Let's go with... This is going to read like the early parts of the Bible. You know, we're like Judah begat Jacob and Jacob begat... Yep. Yeah, it's that. So the yep. Dayton Triangles became the Boston Yanks. Then they became the New York Yankees and then the Brooklyn New York Yankees. And then their players sort of got split between the New York Giants and the New York Bulldogs. And the New York Bulldogs then renamed themselves to be the New York Yanks. So do you want to have a guess who they might be at this point? The Yanks. Nope. Then in 1952, <laughs> they became the Dallas Texans. 
1953, they became the Baltimore Colts. No kidding. And in 1984, they became the Indianapolis Colts. There it is. I did not know that. That's interesting. Your boy, Johnny Yu, wow. played for- My boy, Johnny Yu. The uh, the team that began as the Dayton Triangles. That's wild. Uh, the Detroit Heralds themselves, founded in 1905 and, and folded in 1928. They were, over the course of their time, the Heralds, the Tigers, the Panthers, and for one season, their final season, they were the Wolverines. They changed their name to the Wolverines after Michigan. The, uh, the college team, because their star player, Benny Friedman, uh, was from there. And in tribute to him, they, they changed the entire team's nickname. In 1928, New York Giants then owner and still owned in that family, Tim Mara, wanted to get Benny Friedman to the Giants. So instead of trading for him or, uh, or signing him, he bought the entire franchise and deactivated it. Farewell to the Detroit Heralds, the team that ceased to be because- um, Benny Friedman, who is in the uh, the Hall of Fame, funnily enough. Uh, Tim Murray wanted him as a giant. Now, the Lions, as we know them now, played their first Thanksgiving game in 1935. And as of the time of recording, which is prior to uh, the Thanksgiving game against the Bills, they have played 82 times. That's more than any other team. They have played the Packers 21 of those times, more than any other team, uh, most recently in 2013. Now, do you know what happened in the actual 1997 Thanksgiving game? I do. Do you want to tell the good people at home? Yeah, so we have a segment that we have as the best football moment. In this episode, there was really only two shots of the field, if I can recall. The first shot was pretty early in, probably probably halfway through the episode, where the Lions were lined up at the 31-32 yard. They handed it off to their running back, and he got stuffed around the line of scrimmage in this clip. The other clip was when the lights went, which we'll get to. But the irony of this clip is in 1997, Thanksgiving game, Lions played the Bears. Got Bears. Barry Barry Sanders was their running back, the legendary Barry Sanders. He rushed 167 yards in that game, scored three touchdowns. He ran all over the Bears. Good perspective of our fans that might not follow stats. Like 100 yards for a running back is a great game. He ran 167, which is amazing. Uh, the Lions won that game 55-20. to 20. It's one of their best Thanksgiving wins in history. And that year, Sanders ran more than 2,000 yards on that season. Barry Sanders was the MVP that year. Yep. Uh, as you say, they won 55 to 20. I had a look at the box score because I thought, well, we'll see if there's anything interesting here. And there was. So the Bears were up 14 nothing after five minutes. Interesting. And uh, in the subsequent 55 minutes of football, the Lions dropped 55 points to six on them. Found their groove. And it was running. And, it, and in fact, the Bears led 20 to 17 at halftime. It's a wild comeback. Not the same old. Uh, Lions, but definitely the same old Bears. Now, unsurprisingly, Barry Sanders got a turkey leg from John Madden for his performance in that game. So did Luther Ellis, who had two fumble recoveries, and Johnny Morton, a wide receiver who had over 100 yards and a touchdown. So um, I think it's really cool that the NFL are honoring, I suppose, John Madden with the John Madden and, uh, Thanksgiving games, uh, I think from this year onwards, and the uh, John Madden Award for the best player in each of the games. So I, I think that's really cool. I do too. And well-deserved. He is Absolutely. Cornerstone. Football culture. 
if we're still here in a year's time, maybe we'll do John Madden as our uh, Thanksgiving episode next year. So stick around for that. There's another funny moment in this where it's funny in retrospect. There's a joke that happens when the game first starts. They're sitting in the box and Tim says, the Lions won. And his wife's like, they haven't even started yet. It's like, no, they won the coin toss. <laughs> and that was like the joke. Well, the very next year in 1998, there was a coin toss controversy at the Thanksgiving game. Are you aware of this? Do you know this one? Is this the one with the Steelers? And yes. The Steelers yep. called correctly and the Lions got the ball. Uh, the Lions then opted what to do or whatever. Yep. The game went into overtime, 16 to 16. And the referee, Phil Luckett, asked Steelers to make the coin toss call. So visitors get, the, get to make the call. In the air, uh, Jerome Bennis, the bus, said tails, but Lockett heard heads. And so he gave the ball to the Lions. Now, the coaching staff and Bettis were adamant that he had called the other thing, but they gave it to the Lions anyway. Barry Sanders marched down again, and Jason Hansen kicked field. I mean, as a Baltimore fan, you always... Don't mind the Steelers taking that L, but it was a huge controversy. And from my understanding, it was very clear <laughs> that he had called tails. So unfortunate. Yeah, sometimes uh, life is uh, stranger than art. Absolutely. And it's very funny. I mean, that was the joke that the toy cost was a win. And then the very next year, toy cost become a controversy. And having that toy cost and having that. Toss. You've said it three times. I wasn't going to correct you until you picked yourself. <laughs> I'm leaving it all in. No, no, you got to cut it. You got to cut it. <laughs> I must sound great. I never make a mistake. <laughs> Classic Bustin' Jabba right there. <laughs> Bustin' Jabba coming at you. Bustin' makes me feel good. <laughs> uh, guest star Tom Poston drops by the box as the tailor's getting ready to watch the game. It turns out, and uh, I found out having read about this, that he is the, th- they make a joke about it on the show of, you know, haven't you got a brother? You look familiar. He's shown up previously as a clerk in Alpena Airport in Twas the Flight Before Christmas and a gas station attendant in The Toolman Delivers. Uh, so they're the Ed trippers, I think they're called Fred, Ned, and I don't know, Jed, Ted, yep. something like that. So this is the third and, and final of the Ed brothers, I suppose, that lands on the show. I like that idea that. They reuse this character and then they make the joke like instead of him being the same guy, it's like, do you have a brother? And then he's like, yeah. And all his brothers are him. It's it was funny. It's good. Yeah, it was. Uh, the Taylors are also joined in the box by a TV producer by the name of Irv Schmeyman, who is just a name dropping bore. Slightly anti-Semitic parody, I thought. But um, what are you going to do? I also thought for a sec it was um, Mad Dog Russo when he first came on screen. I was like, okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Like, I don't know yeah. how that lines up time timeline wise, but you you know, an older, very tanned man uh, with yeah. a, a very distinctive voice. But Zach Ty Bryan and uh, Taron Noah Smith are very excited because two of his good looking assistants are with him as well. That's a nice looking turkey. Some of the jokes that we got. <laughs> so uh, Tim gets taken on a tour down to the bowels of the stadium by uh, this uh, Ned Jed Fred fellow. Uh, and the Jill and the kids get their ears chewed off by Schmeyman. They're getting more and more bored by his stories of like 
they're, they're like these old theater Hollywood type stories of, I said to the man, you gotta call it a life of a salesman. Like that sort of- <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> My lights went out and Tina Turner was in the kitchen and she got all upset and he kept <laughs> just dropping names. Yep. People famous. I think it was something like, uh, if you want people to laugh, you gotta make the nun fly. Yeah. <laughs> so Tim goes down on a, a tour of the stage. He's getting super excited. He asks if there's a button to make all 2000 toilets flush at the same time. Uh, and predictably, it all goes awry because, well, they put Tim up on the Jumbotron. I don't know if you noticed, he waves in a real funny way. He waves like this, which is going to be great for a, an audio meeting for all of you. Yeah. <laughs> it's very odd. Uh, it is very much a dad wave. His perspective's all weird. He's very, very close. It wasn't a typical Jumbotron look. No, but he's trying to like show him on the screen and they're like, oh, up in the box. Oh my God, dad's on TV. Cuts to him and he's trying to, he's holding up like a handwritten sign that says tool time, like 1 p.m. weekdays or whatever it is. Right. But he, Tim's not happy with how he looks. He says the contrast's out. So he starts tapping on the keyboard uh, to try and improve it and turns off all the lights in the stadium. There isn't, I, I felt like there wasn't much flags to throw on this. So I was thinking through the show. Honestly, that would probably be my flag on the play with this one. Flag on the play. He's typing in a keyboard to adjust the contrast, which is kind of weird. And then somehow with typing on the keyboard, he blows out the console like there's like a little explosion console all the lights go off it's not a big deal but that's just not the way that works like there's no way typing in a keyboard is going to blow up the console it was just such a weird way to get where they wanted the storyline to go like yep. he didn't spill water on it he didn't like kick out something it was like typing in a keyboard which just shows that they have no idea how even 90s technology worked. And then to get it back, which we'll get into, but he basically like bangs on it and everything yeah. goes back, which is funny for his character, right? The guy that just bangs on the TV to get it working. <laughs> you know, the guy that's supposed to be a tool guy bangs on it to fix it. That part I don't mind, but it was just kind of a weird way to get where they wanted to go. I did quite like when he suggests that, you know, I, I took a, I rerouted the power around the uh, the restrictor or something like that and plugged it straight in. And the guy's like, won't that blow up the mainframe? Something like, yeah, from memory it did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like Do you have any thoughts on uh, blacked out games in the NFL? Any memorable ones? Yeah, yeah. The big one that happened a few uh, Super Bowls ago. No, no. <laughs> rarely. I would have thought, do you get a chance to to talk about one of the the two Baltimore Super Bowl wins? What you were doing? Well, oh, th- this is this is how the show works. So- See, I ask you questions <laughs> and sort of throw them open to you for you to then talk about your experience around these sorts of things. It was crazy. I mean, the the idea that the lights went out—it's the only one that I really know of, which is obviously the Baltimore Super Bowl. I don't really have too much thoughts on it. I, I was at a Super Bowl party. I was like, what what the hell is going on? This is say you know a lot of conspiracy theories came out of it and stuff like that too but See, it, now it, you're getting it yeah <laughs> now i'm getting it now this you're is, getting it 
this is how we podcast. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, you know, Baltimore won. Ooh, the city was great that night. I mean, I more so remember the aftermath. It was really an amazing time. to be in Baltimore. Everyone was out on the streets and it was like basically everyone flooded from their homes. Like if you were driving, I'm sorry, it was probably the worst night of my life because the streets were completely shut down. That but it's kind of like all that win and everything that happened afterwards. That blackout part was just such a minor footnote in my personal story. How about you? Do you believe any of the uh, conspiracy theories? I know Ray Lewis does. I think it is Hall of Fame intro. He he gave a quote along the lines of, but Beyonce just performed. Yeah. Do you think maybe the NFL wanted to slow the game down? It was getting a bit of a blowout. The game was over too quickly. I mean, it could. It, it certainly could. I mean, I'm the type of guy, you know, it It sounds, a lot of people think it's crazy, but I do think the NFL does stuff like that. I do think flags are thrown to adjust a game sometimes or change the momentum or things are getting out of control. Or, and it depends how deep you are. Is it Vegas? Is it Vegas sitting there with the numbers like we're going to lose a lot of money? I do think that there are things that are called that is clear as day sitting on the couch. Like, that's like, why would you do that? But I, you know, I mean, it's hard for me to say. Did they do it? Who knows? Who knows what those shadowy figures do in their, in their golden towers and why? <laughs> I, um, I have a vague memory of that Super Bowl. So uh, every year for the Super Bowl, my friend and I would get up very early in the morning and go to the casino in Perth because that was the place where you could watch the game and get a drink at about 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning. So we were there doing that. And because there was the delay in the game, we were getting drunker and drunker and drunker. And we like we always knew it was going to be a big day. We looked forward to it every year and you know, a fun little tradition my friend and I did. That afternoon, we'd been drinking all day. We like rolled it into a big session. We went to a pub. And this is a Monday in Perth. Like right. It is dead. We are blind drunk in the middle of the day. Uh, and there are these two guys having having beers at this bar we were at, and we were playing a bit of pool, like not very well, neither neither she nor I are any good at it. And they came up and not tried to hustle us, but like, do you want to play doubles? Sure. And there weren't many balls left on the table. And this guy thought it would be a good idea to try and distract my friend uh, by taking his balls out of his pants, his testicles, and putting them over the pocket she was trying to sink the ball into. Poor form. I have never seen anyone hit a pool ball as hard straight into the pocket, <laughs> the white ball straight into this guy's balls. Perfect. Perfect. That's amazing. She signed the white ball. I, I nicked it. And I have that in my possession. Good for you. That's amazing. I think it's either in a, a box here or, or back in Australia. But yeah, that was that Super Bowl, which is a, a very fond Great memory. Super Bowl. Amazing. There was an incident in an AFL game in the 90s of the lights going out and true to form, the fans burnt down the scoreboard. Wow. It, it just essentially a riot just broke out in the, in the stands and, and the, fan, the fans <laughs> burnt down the scoreboard. What? Lights are out. Destroy everything. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. So no, none of that happens here. Tim gets it all sorted. The fans do sit outside the door yelling and screaming at yep. Tim. Because there is one point where our Ned, Fred, Ted character is like, you're going to have to go back to your box. And Tim's like, 
fans are gonna kill me out there. I can't wander through the dark. And he's like, I know. He opens the door and they're all <laughs> yelling and screaming and throwing things. And then Tim ends up staying in control. <laughs> During the blackout, the Taylors are visited by another special guest up in the box, and that is Rodney Dangerfield, who just appears to be there. Now I have a question for you. Do you think he knows he's on TV? Like on a TV show? Comes in, he's bows to the audience, he's making jokes to the camera. So I think for me, that's exactly what they did. I like the way that they handled his guest appearance because basically they brought Rodney out and were like, do line. Because some of his lines didn't didn't even really line up with the script. It felt like he just came out and did his comedy act and I loved it. For me, it was the best part of the show. It was the the main part where I actually laughed. Yep. It was great. And he's like playing the hits as well. He's doing like, uh, we were so poor. I was so short. Get no respect. I tell you, I was short. <laughs> when, I, when I was a kid, I had to open my fly to blow my nose. <laughs> yeah, I was so short. Yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, <laughs> but you're right. I think he's just coming out and doing his jokes. And like the characters are genuinely laughing at him too. Patricia Richardson's yep. hiding her face like fucking Jimmy Fallon on SNL. Yep. Because it was very natural. I don't think it was scripted. or if it- I think it was one take. I do too. I think it absolutely he came out, did jokes, and that was it. He even drops a Dr. Vinny Boombats. Yeah, man. Rodney started my Christmas special. I don't get no respect. On ice. Oh, and I tell you, it was cold. <laughs> it was so cold, it was colder than my wife's handshake on our honeymoon. <laughs> What are you doing in Detroit? I'm looking for plugs and points. Oh. <laughs> I was the Grand Marshal at the Great American Parade. I think they made me the Grand Marshal. I mean, how great can America be, you know? You are good. <laughs> Thanks, Shorty. <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, I was short myself. I was so short, I had to blow my nose through my fly. <laughs> Huge Rodney fan. He just, he gets me. It doesn't matter what he's saying. It's right off the bat when he came out and started making jokes. I was like, I was like this is great. Well, I thought he was setting up for my favorite Rodney joke during it. Because he thought, oh, man, we were poor. I tell you, we were poor. My dad used to show me a picture of Thanksgiving dinner. I was sat there licking the gravy. Yeah. <laughs> but my, uh, my absolute favorite of his is, I tell you, we were poor. If I wasn't born a boy, I'd have nothing to play with. <laughs> And I thought that's where he was going with it. Family show. Yeah. <laughs> Although there, there was a joke early in this particular episode, I believe, where Al says, this is my favorite tool that I take everywhere with me. And then Tim goes, hey, Al, it's a family show. So they did mm. kind of make that joke earlier in that episode. Well, yeah. I mean, there was a bunch of sex jokes as true Rodney fashion. Yeah. If you go and watch, I think there's like the best of Wilson and everything is like, you know, hey, Wilson, what are you doing there? Oh, Tim, I'm just polishing my balls. Yep. Yeah. And he would turn around and he'll have, I don't Bowling know, balls. botchy balls. Yeah, right. Yep. It's, it, there's a lot of that. So, I, you know, it's real highbrow sort of stuff. But yeah, Rodney's doing, Rodney's doing his shtick. He's doing, you know, when I came out, I get no respect to be, uh, when I was born, the doctor slapped my mother. Yeah. You take it easy. I hope I run into you when I'm driving. one that i really liked and it's a phrase there are some just beautiful phrases that you never hear anymore 
like describing someone as an old battle axe. <laughs> yeah. And he describes his mother, boy, what a barracuda. <laughs> right. And it- <laughs> He doesn't even really go anywhere with it. Yeah. That's just all. And that's his style. There was a line in Caddyshack, which is, you know, probably his greatest role as an actor, I think, anyway. Oh, definitely. Where he goes, uh, I think it was Caddyshack. It's like, he thinks I'm a baboon. He's, he thinks I'm his wife or something. <laughs> he called me a baboon. He thinks I'm his wife. <laughs> it's just, like stuff like that. Hey. <laughs> Hey, tell the chef it was high quality dog food. <laughs> yeah. Get a hat like that, they should give you a free bowl of soup. You, I you love me? Uh, Caddyshack when. Well, also, though, the hey, everybody's going to get laid and the whole party starts. Hey, everyone, <laughs> we're all going to get laid. But when uh, he was out on the on the field, you know, uh, golfing and he's talking to his caddy. And he's like, hey, when I was your age, I would love 50 pounds of ice up six flights of stairs. And the kid just goes Ooh, three flights of stairs. Yeah. So what? And then he goes, so what? Let's dance. And then he turns on uh, any way you want it by journey <laughs> yeah. and just starts dancing on the golf field. I love that scene. <laughs> Let's dance any way you want it. I would I would love to just reach back and find it easily, but I know it's buried somewhere in there. I have a Christmas ornament that is Al Shervik and Rodney Dangerfield from Caddyshack. And it, it has little like you press the button and he says thing, and that's one of them is the uh, so what so let's party. <laughs> yeah, it's good. He, he's just coming in doing his bits. It, it really is one take. People are trying not to laugh. You can, yeah, and like you said, you could tell it was genuine. Like the kids were genuinely laughing. Like everyone was just kind of doing exactly what you would do if Rodney Dangerfield walked into your party. They all were just looking at him and waiting for him to speak, and then they throw out little clearly t-ball setups for him and then he mm. would do the joke and yeah it was good it was it was great he was he was playing the hits and then as you say tim hits the console gets it back on he comes back upstairs and we get rodney saying hey i hope i run into you with my truck <laughs> yeah was it <laughs> what i'm driving right good joke i forgot to give you my phone number in la you know if you get to la with the bring the whole family we'll have a barbecue okay thanks rodney and you'll meet my doctor dr vinnie Boombach, you know <laughs> In fact, I saw him last week. I asked him if my heart was strong enough for sex. He told me not if I join in. You take it easy. I hope I run into you when I'm driving. And the episode ends back at, at tool time with Tim and Al and uh, Rodney Dangerfield dressed like Donald Trump is um, in like a black suit with a long red tie. It's like, who's copying who here? And Rodney is the guest star on, on tool time. And Tim's trying to tee him up. And he's just giving him nothing, and I, I really enjoy it. Like, yeah, so speak, speaking of husky, uh, Rodney, uh, you were husky as a kid. Is like, hey, it's none of your business. <laughs> yeah. I'm here to, help, here to help out with a project. <laughs> speaking of the projects, you were poor. Uh, what did you tell us about? It's none of your business. <laughs> yeah. yeah, at one point, he says something, something about being annoyed. And he's it's, like, uh, yeah. what's the line? Oh, your wife's pretty annoying. He's like, hey, not as annoying as you. <laughs> right. Which was his only joke. It was it was pretty good. Great to have you on the show, Mr. Dangerfield. Pleasure to be here. Okay, what are we working on today, boys? Well, we're going to refinish this frame for a, a husky picture that Al's got. Now, speaking of husky, I understand you were kind of husky kid. How husky were you? Hey, I'm not here to do jokes. I'm here to help Al with a project. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of projects, I hear that you were pretty poor living the project. How poor were you? None of your business. 
what kind of wood are we using in this frame? Huh? Uh, we'll be using distressed maple. Hey, wait a minute, just speaking of distressed, I understand your wife is kind of annoying. How annoying is she, Rodney? <sighs> Not as annoying as you. So that's the that's the end of the episode. Where are you? Where are you putting the episode on the on the draft scale, and and where are you putting home improvement on the draft scale? If I'm being honest, I didn't find this episode fun in general. So from start to finish, the episode as a whole, I didn't find it fun. Really, what saved it for me was Rod. When he came in, I legitimately laughed. I laughed out loud. He just, he does that though. I mean, like that's, I can't help it. Like it's almost like he could say anything and I'll laugh just because I know he's funny and I love the guy. He's a funny looking guy. He sells his jokes. He's got a funny voice. His delivery is on point. And he's been telling, he was like telling the same jokes for 30 years and they were always funny. And that, that, like, that's respectable. Yep. Uh, He got respect. He got respect. (laughs) So I guess with him, I could probably throw a filter on this episode because that part parts that were in were so good. So I think I could probably give the show a sixth round pick. I kind of struggle between sixth and seventh. I think home improvement to me general is a seventh round. I think it gets drafted because of its big impact. It was a highly beloved show in the for me personally I'll probably never watch it. I watched a couple episodes just to kind of get a better formed opinion of the show and reacquaint myself with it. One of the top episodes that they had was a Halloween episode. To me, that would be much higher. I think that overall that show was fun. Basically, Tim's big holiday is Halloween. And he does all these pranks. And he has a secret admirer that gets obsessed with him it was funny it was all pulled together without rodney this show but obviously it was there. so i i can't, i put that in the sixth round uh where are you at i'm basically the same as you i watched the episode and was like this is shit yep and then i went back to watch other episodes like surely it can't be all that bad and I, I watched an episode that was sort of quite, it was a heartwarming episode. I was like, this this wasn't too bad. But you're right. This is like a, a seventh rounder. Yep. I, it feels very much like the Big Bang Theory of his day, of its day, like really popular, always on, but you know, you don't know anyone who watches them. And like, it's not especially highbrow. It's not really saying anything. It's not doing much. Loud, annoying laugh track. I will be interested because we are, we are probably- Almost certainly going to come back to Alf and see how Alf stacks up next to oh, it because I feel like can't wait. They're they're like a similar level of show. Yep. So I'm going to say Home Improvement's the seventh round. I don't think it's particularly culturally significant. It's not like Jonathan Taylor Thomas had it launched him to stardom. He's done something. It's not like Johnny Depp on Twenty One Jump Street. Right. Yes, I suppose Tim Allen became massive out of it, but again, it's very of its time. This episode itself. Uh, to use a, a pure football analogy, this is like a drafty who runs a 4-2. And they're going to bounce around a roster because they've got untouchable speed. And that's Rodney. Yep. They can't do anything else well, but he is just blazingly fast. So, I mean, that bumps it up slightly. I'm not sure that I could I could really put it much higher than like a 6-7. I don't think it's undrafted, but this is not a good episode. It was the worst episode that I watched of the show. Me too. So maybe that does put it as undrafted other than Rodney. So 
Yeah, it was hard for me to just undraft the show because you're right. While the show doesn't have a cultural impact, like we look at shows like The Simpsons or Family Guys, Friends, past ones that we've done. I mean, whether you like those shows or not, they make a huge difference. And mostly some people like some shows. I can't really pull anything from home. But again, the show was significant enough that we can't just undraft. And this episode yep. was not very funny. I mean, we mentioned the moments, and I think really outside of that, there was nothing that made us laugh at all. But Rodney being in there probably bumps it up from its normal standard humor. Like, it's that one spike that you'll remember from this episode that makes it higher elevated than it probably should have been. That's really how I view it. Home improvement. Yep, that's fair. Now, I do want to add, before we wrap up, a, a potentially interesting six, seven degrees of separation. Now, Binford Tools is the sponsor of, of the show and a made-up brand. There is an episode of Batman the Animated Series where the Joker uses a Binford brand tool. Oh, that's awesome. Binford also appeals in Toy Story. Yep. So Now, if you're looking for some more modern tool time, Tim Allen and Richard Carn, a.k.a. Al Borg, have a show out, Assembly Required. So basically, it's kind of like they do a real tool time, which I think the idea is pretty neat. I watched one. It's not really my type of show, but essentially, it's tool time, but a competition. They get two guys that build stuff, guys, gals, whoever. And the one I watched, they had a leaf blower, and they're like, only use leaf blower during one season. So let's make this so you can use it for winter. And basically these guys turned in leaf blowers into leaf blowers slash flamethrowers to melt snow and ice. <laughs> so it is like a real tool time. I thought it was neat enough. Um, those kind of shows don't really grab my attention, but if you're into that, uh, go check it out and let us know online how you, what you think. And what, one other thing before we wrap up, uh, on the show, he shows up occasionally. Al has a brother called Hal or Cal or something like that. Right. And that came about because a fan wrote to the show with a picture of himself saying he looked like looked like Richard Kahn. No kidding. It's funny. Uh, and he, absolute, he absolutely does. So this guy was, um, was on the show a couple of times just because he looked like him. That's awesome. So on that note, I'm going to tell the good people where they can find you. Sure. If you want to reach out to me on social media, you can find me on Twitter at Justin underscore B. Come over, say hello. Or if you're interested in some design or web work or just want to see some design and web work, you can go to my website, justin-b.com. So if you want to get in touch with us and get in touch with the show, we are at Screen Pass Podcast on Instagram. Drop us an email at screenyoulater at gmail.com. You can follow me on Uncle Elon's Big Blue Bird at, at Sheehan Solo. And you can follow at 32bit. That's the number 30TWOBIT on there as well. And you'll never miss an episode from the fantastic team at 32bit. And with that, screen you later. Oh. Oh. <coughs> <coughs>